Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Today, we are joined by one of England's very best strikers. Jodie Taylor has scored goals everywhere she's gone. And boy, has she been everywhere. I don't think there's a continent that she hasn't played in. Uh, From Tranmere, her hometown club, to Melbourne and Seattle, to Sweden and now North London once more. Jodie has proved herself time and time again over the course of 21 years in the game. She's done so at international level too, with a Euros golden boot to her name. We had to get her on the pod to talk about her international career spanning decades and her insight on the art of centre-forward play. Jodie, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. You're our first striker to be with us, so congratulations on that massive accolade. I know that probably... (laughs) ranks high above all the other accolades that you've had in, in your career. I, I completely understand. Um, we'll go straight in. I mean, there's been big news around you, obviously, uh, this half of the season. You rejoined Arsenal in mid-March, uh, in the middle of quite a difficult time for them, obviously coming off the back of uh, quite a few injuries. Um, what was your first impression of the, of the dressing room? Obviously, you've been there before. What was the, what was the difference like coming back all, after all this time? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you for having me on the show. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it, it was really cool coming back to Arsenal. Obviously, joining mid-season, I was at the club, I think, six years ago. I think I was here 2016 through to the end of 2017 as the WSL changed back to a winter league. So it's been a while. And I've just been so impressed with the progression of the club and the progression of the league. Um, there's still a few familiar faces uh, at the club uh, and then a lot of new people, not a lot of new staff, the facilities, everything about the club has just grown and progressed so much and it's so pleasing to see. Um, obviously, the kind of conversations you have with a manager when you're joining a new club are obviously very important. Mm-hmm. What what was it that Jonas Eidevel said to you um, to bring you back and, and make you a gunner once again? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I think it, it, it was very clear um, kind of the needs of the squad. A lot of injuries, signing post uh, transfer window um, so already coming in 
Um, you know, I kind of I knew what the situation was, had a good idea of potentially how I would be needed and where I would be needed. Um, so it was just an honest, transparent conversation, um, which I appreciate that so much from managers. I think over time, you kind of really start to appreciate just the honesty and the openness of, of conversations and, and building and forming that relationship with the manager. So, you know, it, it's always hard going to a new team for starters. It's hard joining a team mid-season and it's hard joining a team like Arsenal mid-season. Um, but it was a challenge that I was totally up for and I've, I've done it before and kind of knew what to expect. And you really do have to come in hitting the ground running. Um, so for me, it was just about fitting in as quickly as possible. Uh, just kind of slip right in this, you know, figure out kind of what is needed, what what's needed, the kind of demands and, and needs of the team in general, the situation stepping into, and also just the, the needs and wants of the coach. What's the what's the style, kind of where you needed, where you seen, and how can you kind of fit in as, as quickly as possible. Um, but, you know, everyone at the club made me feel so welcome from day one. It's definitely helped knowing a few of the girls, um, and, and they helped me out massively, but even just the, the staff integrating me um, with the team. Everyone's just so welcoming, staff and players. So it, it helped so much. And, you know, I think I was only there for about three months, but it felt like I was there for the whole year. Um, so it was it was a great experience. It was, it was really pleasing to be able to come in and to be playing back at the Arsenal. Um, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, didn't quite um, go on to win anything outside of the, the Conti Cup, which I you know, just missed out on that. So... Um, but no, it was it, it was great to be a part. And obviously, I didn't know coming into it that we'd even have even more injuries. You know, I think when I joined, we had enough injuries and a bit of lack of depth up front. And then obviously, just anything can happen in football, and um, that's always kind of my mindset heading into it. You know, you've got just got to be ready and prepared because you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it was a well kept secret when when it was announced. We were delighted mm-hmm. in the, when in the journalist pack when we saw you were coming back. Um, I feel like you were a bit of a white knight coming along for Arsenal to save the day. Um, did you? Was there pressure? Did you feel like extra pressure in comparison to to maybe joining when you've joined other clubs? Um, yes and no. I think there's always a, a level of pressure when you join a club like Arsenal and I'm back in your home country too. Um, but I I love pressure. I think it brings the best out of me. Um, and it's 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 how you see it. You know, for me, it was I was a free agent. It was a great opportunity for me to come back and play for a club that I love so much and a club that I've been at previously. Um, you know, I get to this point, I'm sick of traveling around and moving around so much, but when the opportunity came up to come back to Arsenal, I just couldn't turn that down, you know? Um, so no, it was great for me on a personal level. It was, it was great for me to come back. Um, a top club that is still in Champions League too. And we got so close to making it all the way. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't registered for the time that I had signed. Um, but it was great to just be around it and be a part of. And even just seeing the games at Emirates, that's a huge step. That's a, a huge progress over here for the club and for the league. Um, and just on that, I hope more games um, are played at bigger stadiums. Because, um, yeah, we're starting to sell out these small little stadiums now. I think we're outgrowing them. So, um, But now it's, it's, it's really cool to see where the game's at now and, and where it's going. Well, we've got to talk about your incredibly prolific career across, spanning across pretty much all continents. Uh, you've played in Sweden, Canada, Australia, uh, obviously the US, and obviously, obviously over here. Um, in terms of your kind of time in the in the US, obviously with Orlando Pride for a bit, San Diego Wave, um, you know Portland Thorns. How does the kind of the league over there sort of uh, the comparison between that and uh, the league over here at the moment? How competitive are the two leagues? Do you think? 
Yeah, you know, every league's so different. That's what I've, I've loved about traveling around and playing in different leagues because the, all leagues are so different in what they prioritize and what they value. Um, I think the, the biggest contrast that I faced was I was playing in the US um, for Seattle and then pandemic hit. So we didn't have a league over there. So then I got the opportunity to join Leon. They said, you know, we've got Champions League coming up to on a play. So of course, I was going to go do that. Um, so going from the US to France was the biggest contrast that I could you could imagine and trying to change that mindset you know um and again trying to adapt to, to what the the league is and what the coach wants um, in terms of america to the english league i think the american league there's a lot of phenomenal athletes over there very fit very fast and it, it's kind of shown in the way that they play the game's very transitional um, so you got to run, <laughs> you got to be able to run. Um, and the challenges, of course, of the, the travel and the, the weather and the climate, you know, this, it comes with its own challenges over there. The leagues is growing and, and developing. Um, but I'd say over here, the game's a little more tactical and more technical. Um, and then France even more so, you know. Um, but no, I think, I think the, U the UK league has a real good blend of there is athleticism and it's getting more athletic I think as teams are more professional and training full-time you know I think you, you kind of have to remember the history of of the game and in the US it's been pro for a long time I mean they've had about three leagues come and go um, but historically they've they've been professionals for a long long time whereas I think the English league you know I, we were still only training twice a week not too long ago you know within the last 10 years so you, you got to take that into consideration too but i think the league's quite physical here especially in the tackle i think that's one of the biggest differences uh, people can tackle here um i mean katie mckay being one of our specialists <laughs> <laughs> yeah fortunately she just leaves that for match day and then doesn't do that training um but yeah no so it's there's a real good blend here and i think this league is going from strength to strength and i think as the league grows and you attract better players it's only going to get better. That's what I was going to follow up with. You must be very adaptable both on and off the pitch, um, having played at so many clubs. Was that by choice? Do you just enjoy playing in different clubs? Or was it by the fact that like contracts in women's game tend to be shorter? Um, or as the league, as your career went on, did you realise you like playing in different countries and you, you like moving different teams? You know, so here's a, sto a story for you is when I signed at Birmingham off the back of going to college and not playing for a year. Marcus Bignett, who's the coach, and, and David Parker at Birmingham, they remembered me from back in the day when I was playing for Tranmere before the game, you know, when the game was completely amateur, when you were getting mm -hmm. petrol money and a £30 win bonus. So they remember <laughs> me from back then. Um, so I was contacting teams and no one, no one was interested. I remember speaking with Liverpool, who bought me the, the league back then. And they, the coach at town had told me to go trial with the reserves. I'm like, I'm not going to go trial with the reserves. Like, so, again, it was the opportunity. Marcus and David at Birmingham remembered me, gave me the opportunity there. Great. Um, so it's kind of, that's kind of what happened for a number of years. So I was just taking whatever opportunity came up was better than the last one. And that's kind of why I moved around so much. And it, and it was more of a desire and a motivation to just get better, improve, try and make the national team. And... Um, Back, it didn't really affect me as much of, of being settled somewhere. I was just had you know eyes on the prize, like how am I going to get better? And 
I think from moving around a bit where you have to you go to a new team and you have to prove yourself like you, you really do have to step it up because they don't know you you're trying to fit in you're trying to find a way to adapt to, the, to what the coach wants and it that really helped me it is pressure it's an uncomfortable situation to be in but I found like I that I performed better in those moments so I think I kind of got used to doing that because um, it did help me get better and grow so um, yeah they got to a point where I was doing that for a number of years like I said I think it took me about four or five years to make it to the national team to get my first cap so I was 28 when I got my first cap for England and that was probably one of my proudest moments is to you know that the hard work paid off essentially I was going to say, how did that actually feel? Like once you got that call up after all the mm -hmm. years of, you know, playing at different clubs, getting all these different experiences, adapting to these different cultures, playing styles, management, you know, players themselves. Um, yeah. And then finally getting that call to say, yeah, Jody, you're in. And also you're going to be starting this game. And then what a year later, I then go into um, yeah, the World Cup and then obviously getting the, the bronze medal. I mean, that is such a, mm. that's such a transition. Like, How did that, that must have been a whirlwind, that sort of like um, period of time. Like, how were you feeling during that, during that time? Yeah, no, no, it was. It was crazy. Um, but I, so when coaching change happened, Mark Sampson came in. He called me into the first camp, which was a big camp in the January. But at that point in time, I was playing over in Sydney. I was playing in Australia and it was like a three month season. So back then it was the US league was about six months long and the Aussie league was a few months. So it was kind of like back to back seasons. So I would, I would do that. And um, I was playing in Australia and we had this tournament in Japan. We had all these makeup games. It wasn't a FIFA window. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up not going back for it. It was a a bit of pressure from the club over there and um yeah I didn't end up going back for that January window of that, of that camp and then they didn't call me in for a few camps after that oh God, so obviously I'm there stress. I just said I signed at spirit I'm like oh my god I've been waiting for this for so long and so yeah fortunately I had a good season I was having a, a good start to the season at spirit so then I, I think it was August time I, I actually got a call up so I was, I was like I'm not not gonna mess this up um, <laughs> so I went to that and it, it was really strange joining the national team at that point in my career because I was 28 I was probably older than half the, the players on the team mm -hmm. but felt like a rookie it was a really strange feeling like I felt really new like this novice to the team you know shy not that comfortable and there's players younger than me who've been in the setup for years um so it was, it was weird it's kind of had this experience in playing but lack of experience at the national team at the international level and with the national team um no it was it was incredible i just remember being really nervous and i think there was a few we had a few camps i think it was like it was august september october there's like a, a number of camps so i think once i got in i was never left out unless i was injured um, and there's a, I had a couple really good opportunities to score, which I knew if I was at club, I would have buried them. But I was just so nervous that I ended up like miss, missing these chances. And then it wasn't until I had a had an off season in the U, in the US, and I just remember training my ass off, and I came back flying. Um, and then at that point in time, I I ended up getting the opportunity to start. And we had a Cyprus Cup. I remember I scored my first goal for England at Cyprus Cup, and it was a hat trick against Australia. I was there. And that was like that was an incredible moment for me, um, especially because I played over there too, right? So it's like um, had that extra, definitely had that extra like um, feel to it. But um, and yeah, and that was a few months out from the 2015 World Cup, so I was doing really well. Um, and then 
I got an injury six weeks out from the World Cup. So obviously did all this work. Finally, it was like, wow, I'm going to actually go to a major tournament and potentially start. Um, and I tore my lateral meniscus six weeks out in a training session in Portland. So I had to get surgery straight away. And then the doctor at the national team was like, if you get surgery, you're not going to make it. It's an eight to 12 week injury. And I'm, I'm sitting there and the doctors, the doctor and the surgeon's like, you need the surgery, like you need it. Um, so I had to get it, right? And I was like, uh, at that point, I was like, I am not missing this tournament. I was like, I've worked <laughs> too hard for this. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. So it was just about having a positive mindset. And I was like, I am going to do everything I possibly can. Unfortunately, Mark Sampson, the coach at the time, he believed in me enough to at least throw me in the squad. So he still picked me and put me in the squad, not knowing actually how it would be and, and if I'd even be able to play. Um, so I managed to make a comeback to that. I had to go to St. George's Park with this um, rehab centre there. I was there for a month straight, all day, every day rehabbing. Um, but I ended up on the plane to Canada. I was in the <laughs> squad and yeah, heading into that tournament, I had no idea if I'd even make it back in time. and. I was able to get like 10 minutes in the last group stage, 20 minutes in round 16. And then it was the quarterfinal match against Canada. So we were in Canada, in Vancouver, playing against Canada. Quarterfinal match. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just a, yeah, yeah. Um, and at, at that point in time in the national team, we'd never won a quarterfinal match at a World Cup. I think it was this like mental block. We just could never progress past it. Um, so it was a it was a huge game, it was a huge moment, you know, for for the national team and for England. And um, I ended up starting that game somehow. Just start started me in that match, and I had no idea that was going to happen. And then, yeah, I was dying in the game. I was definitely dying, but <laughs> gave it my all. Gave it my absolute all. Scored. I scored our first goal. It was such a good one as well. Ah. Oh. Yeah, the, yeah, the was... defender slipped and you rounded her and I think we all knew it was going in yeah. before you even come to the box. <laughs> yeah, no, that was an amazing moment too and you could hear a pin drop in the stadium. It was oh. amazing, silence and 50-odd thousand fans. I mean, we were trying, we were screaming. There was about 10 of us in the corner like right. going wild but <laughs> against 54,000 Canadians, I don't think we had a chance. Yeah, no, um, but no, that was, that was an amazing game. We won and, you know, I do think things shifted for us in that tournament and we went on to... Uh, narrowly got beat by Japan obviously was so close to make the final but I think at that stage like getting a bronze and obviously beating Germany which I don't think we haven't beat Germany in however many years I forget now in that bronze medal match that was incredible for us at that time because we really exceeded any expectation. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And, and then just the small matter of Euro 2017, where you go on and smash it there as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think with with that World Cup, with the injury happening so close to the tournament, I, I couldn't even really dwell on it. I was that focused on just trying to make it. And it wasn't until after the tournament that I was like, it's a shame I, I felt like I could have had a much better tournament than what I did. Like course it was incredible as a team how far we did but like how far we got but personally I thought I could have given more if I wasn't injured um or coming off this injury so it was so good on a personal level going into the Euros and actually score goals and, and get a golden boot which was incredible too you know um the Scotland game scoring a hat trick but for me I, I always say it's about and especially the way that I play, it's all about the service from teammates and, and the, the quality of that service. So if, if the service ain't there, I'm not scoring goals. So as much as it was a, a, a great individual achievement, it, if it wasn't for the, the quality and the service of the team and the girls around me, like there's no way I would have been scoring those goals or, or winning anything that I did. So um, that was a shame too. We were so close to, to getting to the final, the Euros. I do think whoever would have won that semi-final match, so it was against the Netherlands, in the Netherlands, and whoever was winning that game was going to win the tournament. And I just remember being in the warm-up, and you could just see a sea of orange. Like, the, the, <laughs> the fan base and the crowd was incredible. And you get to this stage of the tournament, and you, you know, you're so tired anyway, and it's just getting through these games. And the energy in that stadium, I remember being in the warm-up thinking, oh, God, <laughs> This is good. This is going to be a tough game, um, and I, I do. I believe. I think it was the fans that got them through. Um, yeah, that won them that game. So, yeah, so close. It would have been amazing. But look, four years on. Absolutely, but I think that that starts from the legacy that you guys created. I mean, like you said, I mean the the lionesses weren't getting that that much attention up until sort of in the last five, six, seven years. And that was something that was created by, you know, getting that bronze medal, by going to the Euros and putting on a great performance and then going into, you know, later tournaments in the, you know, the She Believes Cup that started up. And then, yeah, it just it's just escalated since then, hasn't it? It's, yeah, um, yeah, we talk a lot about, obviously a lot will be said about the Euros when we talk about women's football going forward. But like, there's so many moments that have happened over the years that have been catalysts to just boost it forward. And mm. it's true, there's so many players that have been involved in moments that, have have put it where it is now. Like you talk about that that um semi final in Canada, obviously gutting the way you went out, but actually had such a massive impact on how the game and the the team were perceived by the the public, um, and actually probably had a really positive impact on on how everyone kind of fell in love with the team even more. So mm. it's mad how all these small moments actually like push together to eventually end up you know winning a Euros, hopefully yeah. a World Cup. Well, uh, well, I mean, we're we're gonna do it this summer, <laughs> so it's a pretty it's a given. Um, 
But um, I just want to touch briefly on, um, you mentioned there sort of, you know, how your career has escalated and how there has been a, a part of that is the style of play that you've had, you know, the deliveries that you've got, the cohesion that you've had with teammates to kind of, you know, create some of these really worldy goals. Um, and then you mentioned before, obviously, there'd been some challenges in previous setups that you'd had um, where your your style of play and what you wanted to do hasn't quite fit. Has there ever been a sort of um, a style or a setup in, in one of the teams that you've that's not quite suited you or that you felt sort of a little bit uncomfortable with at all? Yeah, great question. You know, I think the, the game has changed a lot. Let me start with that. I grew up playing in mostly 4-4-2, and I think mm-hmm. that was pretty standard. And the game shifted, I think, the, especially the game in the UK shifted. It's become more possession-based. 4-3-3 seems to be the, the most popular formation or some variation of that with wide forwards. And I think that's really changed the way that I've had to play and adapt into. I've, I've been used to playing two up front, 2v2 against centre-backs, being able to run the channel, being able to mani- manipulate, exploit space. That's what my game's on, right? That's that's what I base my game on. And then the game's kind of shifted to now you're a, a lone striker with two centre-backs. So already, you know, it's a 2v1. Then it's about where the delivery's coming from. The deliveries are coming from wide areas. And it just changes where, where the delivery and where the chances are coming from. I've been used to a lot of through balls, right? Being a back shoulder mm-hmm. player, whatever whatever it is a lot more central opportunities and I think as the games evolved and changed a lot of the opportunities come from wide areas and that's something that I've really had to kind of change change to I think that's been the most challenging thing I've had to adapt to um and change the way I play ultimately it's, it's just different it's, it's a lot it's a lot different and I often ask myself like I wonder if now if I was coming through the ranks as a as a kid what would my position be would I be a center forward would I be a winger you know, would I be more in the pocket? I don't know. I don't know what that what the answer would be. But um, the, what would your the preference be? The games have certainly changed. Oh, what would my preference be? Go back to a four four two. That's that's my <laughs> preference. Let's go old school. <laughs> go old school. Um, no, I don't know. It, it's a hard question because I've been a centre forward for years, right? And it's that experience is probably is what's kept me in that position. Although the last couple teams, a few teams I played for. I've been moved around a little bit. I've I've been put in a ten. I've been I've been put as playing as two tens. I've been put on the wing a little bit. I've got to be central. I just as soon as I get outside the width of the box, I, I I'm lost. I just don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but it, you know, I think being put in different positions has, has been great. I've always said I wanted to play different positions. I've always been an out and out forward, uh, a centre forward. Um, but even at Arsenal, I think there's been games where I've played three positions in one match just because of injuries and, and the need, you know, and it's um it's nice to be trusted. Nice to be trusted in different positions. Um but yeah, no, that it is interesting. And again, going to different countries, I think I struggled a little bit in France just because it was very possession based and especially when you play for a team like Lyon, teams will just park the bus. You know, it's a very tactical game. So again that changes We've up. seen that a bit at Arsenal probably you know, some of it due to injury, but even like last season, Miedema, who we'd often just consider a number nine and an out-and-out striker playing deeper in that number 10 role. Um, and I guess that was quite useful in a sense when Arsenal did start getting more injuries this season that you had someone with that versatility. Um, do you think the demands on centre-forwards are changing now or do you think players are more versatile or do you think maybe it was just more down to the fact that that was what the team needed at the time? Probably what the team needed, um, you know. I like I said, I, I am a 
I am in favour of at least having a cent. If you're going to play with a, with a single forward, with a single nine, having a number 10 close to you is so important. So when you say about Viv Miedemar playing as more of a 10 um, with Steenum in the nine, that works because they're close together. You know, Viv's naturally a, a centre forward who's going to be, she's attacking minded, she's going to be in and around those areas, which again, it causes problems for two centre backs. Um, so I, I think for me, it's, as long as you've got a player close enough to your centre forward, it, it operates similar. But um, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see how the game evolves again and what new formations come out and then kind of what, what that ends up creating. I, I think, you know, I think when, when the game started changing over here, this is my opinion, when we would go from 4-4-2 to 4-3-3, we didn't quite have out and out wide forwards because we never played that way. And I think as time's gone on, that's kind of been in the, you know, through through the youth age groups, that's kind of, I guess, the, the DNA of, of playing that way, especially with the England, with the national team. You produce some more wingers and more wide forwards. So I think as if that's what we're creating, then that's obviously going to be the strength of the, of the players coming through. Well, I mean, talking about versatility, I don't think you can get anyone as versatile at the moment as Rachel Daly. I mean, yeah. we talk about, you know, <laughs> positions up top, but we're talking about someone who's literally gone from the back line straight up and then won golden boot this year. Um, and in terms of kind of, you know, the, the, the kind of mindset that you need to be in to have such a great streak, a great run of goals. I mean, you've done it yourself. Like when you get into form, when you're really feeling a flow, when you, you, you know, every touch you think is going to be a goal. I mean, how do you get into that mindset and how do you also maintain that once you're there and not let the pressure of having to score a goal in the next game kind of get to you? When it comes down to, to that, it's about belief, I think, and confidence. I think a lot of it is, is confidence based. You know, you talk about highs and lows of forwards, like how does it happen that you're flying and everything you seem to touch goes in and then moments maybe when you're not scoring it goes the complete opposite way you can do everything everything possible and you're not scoring I do I think a lot of it's confidence based belief based and just more relaxed in front of goal and you can make better decisions um of course it does come down to playing the style that suits you playing with (laughs) players who can provide the service and, and give you the opportunity to score goals but yeah no I think I think the mental side of the game's huge and for you, the mental game is one side. Physically, I mean, you know, you've had an incredible, like the, the length of your career, the longevity of your career is, is amazing. You're, you're 37 now. How are you feeling? You're playing still in the, the WSL and top football in a top team. How, how are you feeling kind of physically, not just mentally? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, you know, I think I told myself, uh, when was it? It was, it was the last time I was at Arsenal, actually. So it was about five, six years ago, I had a bad Achilles injury that I was, oh, it was just plaguing me. And I remember back then saying, if I ever get to this stage again, like I'm just gonna retire because it's just not fun to go through. Um, fortunately, touch wood, uh, knock on wood, um, I'm feeling fit and healthy. I think it, I think as time goes on and the more, the more you play and the more experience you have, the more you get to know your body um, and be able to voice that too. Um, it's been great being at a club like Arsenal um, where they kind of, trust that you know your body and kind of work with you on how you're feeling and what you need so that's been helpful too and like you know I was coming off an off season for instance I was coming off a three four month off season when I joined Arsenal and 
the way that they kind of handled my integration into the team and managing my loads was was great and it, it works both ways so it's having good people around you um, and the resources around you but also you've been able to communicate how you're feeling and, and what you need but yeah I'm feeling in it feeling in a good place well we're very glad to hear that um i think the only i mean our last 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 question i know we've kept you um so much of your time you're obviously sat there at an airbnb waiting <laughs> to get off some very important meetings and back to training and all sorts um but yeah what does the future hold for you kind of you know our life after football what does that look like have you started to think about that or is something you're sort of parking until actually your time with football is is done yeah no certainly thinking about what's next i think i've, I've always kind of had that mindset from you know, when I was younger, heading to college, always knowing that I've kind of needed something outside of playing. Um, I have gone through my coaching licenses, so I've just finished my UEFA A license, which is congratulations. Great That's yeah, massive. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice to get that done. It's re- let me tell you, it's really difficult to do while playing, um, but. I've had great support and mentors over the years to help with that. Um, and I'm currently completing a master's in sports directorship. And that's an online oh. course that I'm doing, which is which has been great too. So I'm at a little bit of a crossroads of kind of what I want to do and which, which way to go. I know it's a bit different going coaching to management. Um, so I'm kind of figuring that out right now. Um, but I, I don't think I'll quite know what I want to do until I give it a go. So um, no, so that's where we're at. I'll definitely in the future be involved in the game in some capacity. Like I, I, I love it too much and too passionate to, to not be involved in football. It's just figuring out what way to go. My, my gut is more management, um, even though obviously I'm more my experience is more on the grass right now. Um, but yeah, I think potentially more management we'll see we'll come we'll come back to this in the future and see actually where Interesting. i end up i mean you heard it here first Jonas Eideval or claire wheatley <laughs> yeah. or kelly simmons watch your backs right. because jody's coming through um we'd love you to come back on the pod and tell us all about things um later on next season but um yeah thank you so much it's, it's been a really enjoyable chat thank you thank you Jody. no worries thanks for having me Thanks to Jody for joining us and thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week as that World Cup inches closer. But remember, if you've got any questions for us in the meantime, please tweet us at Football Ramble, Rachel's at Girls on the Ball, and I am at Morgie underscore 89. See you next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.